how are you? I'm good, how are you? Again, the weather. I mean, I just, it's so, so depressing. I can't put any more of a positive spin on it because is this, was this going to be week two or week three, week four? Of the season? Yes. Yeah, something like that. I mean, it was meant to be, what, the Saturday 25th of May or something? No. No, we would have been, no, we'd be more than that, wouldn't we? We would have had all of May. So, do you think we would have lost any weeks of cricket between now and when we would have started? I'm trying to think. There was one. I think there was just one. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Like, I mean, whereas last weekend was was absolutely brilliant. Yesterday was great. Uh Uh-huh. Like, yeah. It is, like you say, depressing. It would be nice to just be to be out playing and not having to worry about sort of a range of global issues. But I guess, sadly, we kind of just need to... I'm just trying to accept it and forget about it now. Yeah, and, yeah. But, so, listen, I mean, I've heard, I've heard that Ireland are back as of next week or something, so they're planning to get their season underway. Actually start playing domestic play. cricket. Yeah, uh-huh. Yep, they're managing to get get games in so they've obviously taken a taken a different approach to it that's the republic though yes. i don't know about that. Um, that's interesting yeah. that's interesting yeah so they've so obviously had a bit more success than you had we're scraping the barrel this week we've got we no- are. well i saw <laughs> nobody Kazim shakes gone for you know best and we've we've decided to go for no best at all how does he have you seen that he's changed his avatar so what he's now saying that his show is, is Shakey's cricketing and sporting journeys. And I'm thinking it doesn't really sort of roll off the tongue. Why doesn't he just say Shakey's sporting journeys? Or Shakey's journeys yes. or something. Yes. But I mean, who are we to, to mock him at this point, given he's, <laughs> he's getting all these high profile guests on and this week sure. you and I are going to be... So how, do you think, how do you think he gets these guests? I think, well, I think it's all people he's played with. So I think when he, somebody said that, like, so he was, he played with Darren Sammy, I think, uh, yes. uh, uh, when he was in, I think he was in MCC Young Cricketers as well. Uh-huh. Like, I think he's just, I think he's just got, uh, his people he's played with, I mean, who knows, how, who knows how close he is with them now, whether he's, I don't know how that interaction goes. I don't know if he's, like, been in contact with them or he's contacting them out the blue and they're like, who are you now that would be embarrassing i'm sure that's not that's not the case um he was talking about um sporting journeys okay and then he started to name the sports that he was going to be speaking to people in right and Uh one of them was ice skating like figure skating what did he know Cross Maloof, admittedly, when he was a kid, maybe he did some skating in Cross Maloof. I'm not too sure before yeah. it turned into a Morrison's. Yeah, potentially. It's not a sport I would have associated him with, but maybe, maybe to judge. Maybe he's got a hidden uh, hidden talents, triple sulcos yeah. and uh, backflips. Yeah. Well, maybe, and maybe this will be, maybe he's going to find hitherto unknown uh, like parallels between figure skating and and high and high level cricket play, but um, yeah, I would 
I need to be convinced, I think, that there is much of a link between the two. Maybe he's going to go on that uh, that show, Skating on Ice. Maybe that's where he's, he's aiming at. <laughs> what do you reckon? Maybe. I don't... Maybe this is the point of the podcast, is to get him so famous that he can make it onto Dancing I think he's itching. I think he's itching. I get that impression. I get that impression. Right, so apparently uh, you're going to start asking me questions. Yes, the tables have turned. We've Absolutely. As, I mean, I think, sadly, the listeners are going to have to accept a little bit of a, just a West Fest for this one. But I think, yeah, we did, I thought it'd be nice for us to reflect back on some of your successes at the club. I think it's quite interesting... With you coming back, what you see, I guess, is the differences between the way the club was when we obviously won quite a lot of titles and maybe the things that we need to do to get over, to get to that point again. Um, so, I mean, I know I, nor I normally get slated for my lack of research and pre-thought pre for these shows, but this week I have done some pre-reading of my own. You've actually done some, have bit. you? A little, well, I made it as far as the WDCU archive role of honour thing so I could see how many titles you did in fact win so right. but okay. yeah so but I thought we would start with I thought we'd go more chronologically so because I, I we've never actually discussed this what got you into cricket where did you start playing so we'd have been at west but initially yeah. we'd have been school because school okay. that was one of the sports that you played in well you either did that or athletics um and yep. I was never a great runner so yeah, started playing cricket at school. And then I can't quite remember how the link between the school and, uh, and West came about. I think it was just one of these things that yeah. West was the, the main club in the West End, brought up in the West End, went to school in the West End. So as soon as some of you, because my brother was a year older than me, so okay. he would have been a year ahead. So, and the, the, the kids in his year were a pretty good set of cricketers and I guess you just migrated down and followed your brother. But it, I tell you what, I came down um, and I had these, now we're talking 70s here, right? So yeah. whilst I'm, I'm somewhat thinning as far as my experience <laughs> is concerned, there could be no way that you could ever call, have me ha thinning hair back in the 19s. I had what was called a bowl cut. Um, Excellent. I had so much hair that people thought I was a girl. I mean, it was just <laughs> absolutely ludicrous. Uh, so I turned up at West and I got mercilessly slated for like week on week for my hair. And I just it got to a stage where after about three or four weeks, I said, that's it. I'm not coming back. So I didn't play that yeah. season and then came back the next season and then you just got into With it. With a haircut when you returned? I think did I had my haircut. <laughs> I learned my lesson, got my haircut and, and came back. And, you know, you just get thrown in at the deep end. Mini minors, I think they had then. What would that have been? No, none of this quick cricket. It was all hardball stuff. Yeah. Um, and you started mini minors, which was under, would that be under 10s maybe? And then minors and then juniors. And then you just went through, through the system. Uh, Alan Mills was the guy who was in charge. Um, and I guess, you know, if there was anybody who encouraged me early on in my season, it would certainly be Millsy. Um, great guy, super enthusiastic. Uh, and yeah, no, didn't, I don't think technically teach you a, a, a great yeah. deal. Um, but great guy to speak to, even now, great guy to, to have a chat with and bounce ideas off. 
uh, and my earliest memory, I guess, is playing at Clydesdale at Titwood. And it was mm -hmm. when I, I, I suddenly realised that, you know what, maybe I can play the game. Uh, we chased down, I don't know, about 120. And I think I got 80 odd. Um, and I uh -huh. remember the feeling that I had walking off, knowing that I was the one that had predominantly done the business um, and the yep. feeling that that had. I mean, it was, a, it was just immense. And then I think the next week I got selected for some district stuff and, the, and then under 16s and under 19s and went on from there. Yeah, with that, so that, I mean, that was what I was going to ask when, because I guess the thing with Millsy, if you didn't get your technical advice from him, first, where did that technical advice come from? And then also, yeah, what was that sort of progression through, yeah, I, through regional stuff like? Yeah, no, I mean, Millsy introduced you to the game and, and you know, he yeah. told you how to hand, you know, pick up the bat, etc. And, and the rudiments. So I guess most of my coaching was done at school. Omar Henry was the coach at school. So yeah. he was the guy who had a bowling machine. And so he was the guy really that, took you under his wing um, and yep. sort of spoke about the nuances of, of you know, batting and, and bowling, etc. So I guess if there was anybody, because you were, you were training at school, you were training winter nets, you were certainly doing once, maybe twice a week, uh, and you were yep. seeing him then. So Omar Henry would certainly have been a huge influence early on. Can you remember any specific pieces of advice given to you by... Like, do you know I mean, if you were, is there anything you would have taken from that coaching now and, or deliver when... Don't be lazy. Don't be lazy. Don't be lazy. Every time Omar, every time Omar was looking at you and you played a fanny of a shot or you just got bored uh, and you tried to yeah. do something he told you not to do, he'd said just lazy batting. That was it. And that's lazy, lazy batting, lazy batting. Yeah. That's, that's all he used to say. Um, and it's something now that when I'm teaching the kids at the school, that's I'm just it's ingrained in me. Lazy yeah. batting, I hate lazy batting. Yeah, and I, th I mean, I think at that age as well, having somebody like that providing that sort of advice, because it's obviously an element of wanting to impress somebody with that level of pedigree. That oh, absolutely uh, having them, having them then because it, it's not like, it's not like a big statement, is it? Lazy. Batting. It's not coming down and screaming and shouting at you. It's just passing comment on your your kind of dedication. But it say it says everything about your mentality. Yeah. And and Omar yeah. was one that was you know he was a fantastic player, but mentally he was as strong as anything. Uh, and he could just see and and when he instilled that in you about in essence being the best you could be, it yeah. was all about for me anyway making sure that I wasn't lazy. Yeah. And I think, I mean, I, I think, come back onto that later, but I think that's also something that you st definitely still carry forward. Like, I noticed when you came back to the club that you carry forward even, even now, obviously, a slightly later stage of your career in years. <laughs> it's still definitely there that there's an approach to training and stuff that is sort of serious and trying to get the best out of it, which... I certainly think it's really, was it really noticeable as soon as you came back. And I think I'll come back to later on. And I guess what then was, as you progressed up through those age groups, when did you move into the first 11 or into senior cricket and so, talk about that transition? I, I guess it's very similar as it was, as it is today rather, where you get your gig in the third 11. And, and back then I was a bowler predominantly. 
uh, and did a bit of batting. So I would have been maybe 14, 15. I remember making my debut against Greenock Wanderers with Mark oh. Ilchris. Mark and myself made our debut against Greenock Wanderers. Uh, I took four for something, and I, I don't think I batted. Uh, and that would have been, so I would have been 15, so that would have been 1983. Okay. So I played probably half a season because you had the school stuff uh, and then once you stop the school stuff and you, you stop the school summer yeah. holidays, then you just played cricket throughout the whole two or three months. So, yeah, got into the, the third team. And, and then you were playing Saturday, Sunday, Wednesday. You might have a game on Thursday. I mean, it was just wall-to-wall -wall cricket and it was absolutely fantastic. So the following year, 1984, I would have made my debut. And I, I should have mentioned that with we had uh, Billy on last week. Yeah. And I made my debut against Drumpelier. Oh, oh. <laughs> nice, nice, quiet first game. Uh -huh. So I remember him coming down the hill uh -huh. and we were crap. I mean, back, back in the day, I mean, uh, Brian Hope was captain. Okay. So Brian Hope, God, God bless him, not the best of cricketers, okay? <laughs> and I think he was... Um, <clears throat> Captaincy was thrust upon him, I think. I, I don't, technically, yeah. I mean, everything revolved around Snoddy, David Snodgrass. I mean, he, okay. was, he was the one player that we had, plus the pro, and everybody else were sort of bits and pieces cricketers back then. Yeah. And, and, you know, we were always eighth, ninth, seventh. I mean, we, we never really did anything at all. Yeah. And I remember I was batting six or seven, I think, and I went in. And Billy McPate was coming down the hill and he was just <laughs> steam coming everywhere. And I'm just this 16-year-old kid just trying to fend the stuff off. I mean, <laughs> survival, that's all it was. And yeah. then I remember we had uh, um, Steve-O at the other end bowling his office. So he would have been, at that stage, he would either have been playing for Scotland or... He would have been on the door of Scotland. Uh, yes. Had Billy at that stage would have been playing Scotland. Um, and then you've got Steve bowling off. He's at the other end. So it was a baptism of fire. But I remember, again, similar to, I guess, it, you, you tend, because you play for so long, you can't remember every innings that you play. But there's yeah. certain, as it were, iconic innings that you remember. And that was one of them. Because I remember again walking off, having saved the game with Brian Hope, 16 not out, Soapy got about 20 not out. I mean, it was horrible. I mean, it, 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 there would have been edges. Yeah, and so that saving it for a draw, yeah. Just, yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, back in yeah. the day, that was, that's all yeah. we wanted to do was get a draw. Um, and I remember a, the applause as you were coming off as, as this yeah. sort of spotty youth <laughs> going out thinking, everybody was thinking, well, that's it. You know, we're going to get rolled again uh, yeah. and then coming off. Uh, and again, just that feeling of, of I went, uh, that was my job. Uh, yeah. Uh, and, and I'd gone and done it. Um, and I did, oh, I like, like that. I remember back when we, 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 with school, we went on a cricket tour. Yeah. Um, and I remember that I got picked. Uh, the third years went down on a cricket tour and the first 11 went down on a cricket tour. And I remember getting picked as a second year. So they picked two or three second years. And there was a guy, Martin Proger, who played at Greenock with me. 
um, got invited down to play, and this was a huge, you know, accolade for me because it was I was playing with my brother because my brother was yeah. a year older, and I was playing with all his pals. And I remember we played against a team called Kings Kings Wooster, and their pitch was directly opposite the county ground at yeah. Wooster. And I remember I was batting back in those days. I was a bowler, um, and I went in seven or eight, and we were like sort of forty for six or forty for seven. And yeah. really, it was just, and we had twenty-five overs to face. And I remember managing to get out of that, and we were nine down in the end for about sixty. And just I remember again the reaction from people where you were coming off and you just thought, you know what, that's me. I went in to do that job and I've come out and I've done that job. And it's just things like that. You begin to remember those things um, and you mm -hmm. use them certainly for me. And we'll talk about mental, about the mental side of things. When you get into dark places, when you get into situations where you're just thinking, you know, the easiest thing is just to roll over. But then you think about when you've not rolled over and you think yeah. about, how you've what you've done in order to try and succeed um and and these things have always sort of stayed with me yeah well i think you've i think spoken about that quite a lot it feels over over different podcasts so is that something i guess that when when you're out batting is that more at the forefront of your mind then than the situation that you're in like thinking about i'm thinking back to those successful times rather than like shit, this is a difficult situation that we need to get out of. No, 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 no. I'm, I'm, I'm going in there and understanding what the situation is, yeah. right? And, and what I need to do. So you will uh -huh. go in and you will say, for example, if you're going in uh, <clears throat> five and, and you're three for, for zip, um, yeah. you're thinking, well, we've got to try and establish a platform, make sure we don't lose any wickets for the next wee while, wait until the chatter dies down, and then start to capitalize. So yeah. there's always, when I go in, there's always a plan as to what's going to be done. You know, whether that's rebuilding an innings, whether that's chasing down a total, yeah. there's always, that's, that's what we need to do. How do we go about do it and chunk it down from there? But in the back of my mind, I'm thinking, well, we've done this before, so it's doable. Yeah. So I know what to do. So I'm always taking from what I've done in the past and and using that to give me confidence in that moment to execute the plan. Yeah, and so do you, I mean, do you think this is kind of jumping? I guess where to where I was kind of going to go towards <clears> the end. But that idea of planning for batting, do you feel is that something you, again you try and instill in younger cricketers that you're working with? And do you think it's something that people, since you've come back, do you feel that other people use that approach enough? Do you think that people but, who have plans for, for me there's nothing better than batting in partnerships and it's something yep. i guess i only began to really start doing at the fag end of my career where i think as a batsman primarily and if you talk to to batsmen off the record primarily they'll be more interested in what they do and how many runs mm -hmm. they score and yep. it's very difficult I mean, if you're in the top five you're in there to score runs so why wouldn't you think about what you're going to do and there's an mm -hmm. element of selfishness as far as that's concerned but i remember reading a book um and it was an interview with um garfield sobers and he mm -hmm. said that he didn't know how many runs he used to score all he was interested in was what the total was yeah and so i'm very keen that when i'm in 
batting with somebody, I'm already telling them what, if I'm going in, I'm asking them what the plan is. And then if I'm waiting for somebody to come in because we've lost a wicket, I'm already thinking, well, I need to tell them what the plan is and how we're going to execute that. And I say to them, if we're in a bit of a sticky situation, I'm saying, listen, don't worry about what you're on. Just look at what we've got and we'll work in tens. Yeah. So if two of you are working in tens, then all you need to do is get to five. Then once you're at five, then it's only another five to get to 10. And then that's knocking off to 10. So let's get to 20. How do we get to 20? Well, let's get to 20. Let's get to 15. And then once we get to 15, you know, um, so it's just, it, it's, it's chopping it down into manageable parts yep. so that you feel that that's then achievable. You know, chasing 200, you know, when you're starting the innings is, is hell of a difficult. But if you can just say, listen, let's get to 30. How do we get to 30? Well, we need to get to 20, to 10, et cetera. And then if you're batting together, then the onus is not on you to score all those runs. The onus is on the partnership to score runs. And everything counts. Everything off, you know, no balls, extras, you know, everything adds to the total. Yeah. And I think absolutely, because I think particularly when you're the new batsman, I feel like lots of people get really bogged down in the thing of, I've gone seven balls without scoring a run. But if the other guy has taken a four and a single off the start of the over, in a 50-over game, it doesn't matter if you then block out the other four yeah. as you're getting yourself set in. Because, as we've spoken about a lot, if you've got the wickets in hand at the end is the most important thing. Now. Yeah. If you've got enough wickets left at the end, you'll add 60 or 70 on and you'll score quickly. But there's nothing worse than somebody getting out a new batsman getting out ten ball. Do you know what I mean nine balls for one? Yeah. Do you know what I mean if they're twenty balls for ten, at least they've stuck around a little bit more. It's so so important that as a new batsman, you've just got to get down the other the other end. Just kick the bloody thing away. Do something just to to disrupt, so that you can get off strike. It doesn't matter if you personally score runs. I, I couldn't give a hoot. You know, kick the ball away for a leg by. You know, just make sure that you get down the other end so that the other guy takes a bit of pressure off you. Well, absolutely. And I think you and I haven't actually played that much together. Now, I can only think of us batting together in one game. But we, there was a 2020 game for the seconds last year where I think I scored 28 off of 35 or something and you scored 60 or 70 off odd, odd off of 30-odd. And we scored 160. And I was in for 10... 12 overs and like just almost as a runner but there's not it just doesn't matter if you're going along at eights then it doesn't matter if somebody is just knocking one away and then the other person's getting four off the next one absolutely um, but yeah it's all about ultimately it's all about the, the team cricket is such a great game because it is this team game but within the team game there's an enormous personal aspect about it and I've said this before, that if your team wins, ultimately, that's great. It doesn't matter what you've done. But if you've contributed to that win, there's a little bit of a, a shine that you take off of that. Store yeah. it away and use it next time that you need it. Absolutely. And so going back to your, your sort of transition, I guess, into the first team, because I would normally think of it as you want to bring your talented juniors into a strong first eleven to give them a solid base to work from. So what was it like going into a team that was really, that was struggling every year? 
Well, you didn't do, you never had a job. Your job was, and it was always the thing. And I don't know whether or not, to a certain extent, it was certainly prevalent whilst I was, was there that when you brought the kids in, it was nine, 10 and 11. In essence, mm -hmm. you know, you brought them in to give them a bit of a flavor and, but they were ultimately just Jersey carriers. Yeah. Very rarely did you give somebody a, a, a debut and you gave them a job to do. Yeah. The, the job that you got to do was to run from third man to fine leg. <laughs> That's for 50 overs. Yeah. And then you might get a go. And it was very much that the only way that you could actually start progressing up the order was if you did what maybe I did in my debut. Yeah. And you're thrown in at the deep end and you actually turn something around and people sort of look at you and think, wow, well, maybe he has got what it takes. And they'll maybe yeah. when the next opportunity comes on a Sunday friendly, maybe they'll give you a go on a Sunday friendly. But it was a hell of a competitive environment, that league cricket, um, yeah. that very rarely did kids get an opportunity. Well, I mean, structurally, it was set up to make it really hard, particularly if you're a bowler, wasn't it? Because bowlers could bowl, what, did, what was Billy saying? 20, he would bowl 27 every game. So you only, needed, well, well, there was really no you only needed two bowlers, didn't you? So, Well, if you, if you had a team, and generally what tended to happen was you had a pro, and yeah. you, would, you would get a pro who would bowl 17 to 25 over so he would take up yeah. one end and then every team in the western union would always have one two possibly three bowlers um who'd been bowling for 15 20 years so actually yeah. to get a, a gig as a bowler incredibly incredibly difficult and when did that change then when did we move to tens or twelves or whatever it became i'm not actually too sure i think Obviously, the Scottish National League went to five tens. Yeah. So I'm thinking, and then before that, there was the regional mix and match where we were all jockeying to see who was going to get into the various three divisions. Yeah, I can't remember whether or not before that it had actually changed. Yeah, I mean, I, I certainly remember a majority of my cricket um, yeah. being having to face Billy McPate for twenty overs. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. An absolute pasting from him. <laughs> and so, I mean, moving on to the, the, the period where, you, where we became successful then. So I think we... 89. At, yeah, so I think I, yeah, I looked at it and we won 80, 89 and 90. Yeah. Or, and 91, maybe. And I think we won three and four, which... Yeah. Unless you go back to... 19, well, I think it happened possibly in the, in the 70s, and then you have to go back to the sort of the really early days of the union before it, when anybody had won three and four. Yeah. What, so, so, what changed it? So, what so West had only won the, the only thing that West Major had won was a 1968 Scottish Cup. Okay. Yeah. Um, and it took us, and this is the galling thing, that it took us, what's that, 68, it took us 20 years to win yeah. the Scottish Cup. Um, and, and we've not won it, we've not won it since. Anyway, oh. so 1988 was the first major piece of silverware that we won. And it yeah. was, I guess, the year before that, and maybe, maybe two years before that, there was a huge sea change. The Martinshire Cricket Club were struggling. I can't remember whether they folded. 
but Colin Mayer arrived at the at the club. Yeah. Colin Mayer at that stage would have been sort of mid thirties, uh, and still, you know, could bowl. Shings, yeah. yeah, he could bowl, um, do something with it. So he came along, and so he was installed as skipper. So he worked with David Snodgrass. Mm-hmm. Uh, we then got Monty to join from, I think, Kelvin Side Academicals, mm-hmm. or GHK as it, as it is now. Uh, and then we had myself, Mark Richardson, uh, sorry, um, Gilco, yeah, Mark Gilchrist, um, Mark Richardson, who was the year below me, so that was the three, and then a guy called Robert Bald and Aidan Doherty. Okay. So Aidan Doherty was a top-level bat. Uh, Robert Bald bowled and, and did a bit of batting as well. And then we had Alan Williamson as well, of course. Yeah. So that's six guys. You add in Colin Mayer, Angus Montgomery, and David Snodgrass. That suddenly we've now got nine, nine proper cricketers. Yeah. Add the pro is ten. So then we're a real, real threat. Um, Trevor Bayliss came over, proed for us. We ended up winning the Scottish Cup. And then that was, I think, it's one of these things that winning the first is the hardest to do. But once you win, again, it's all down to that level of confidence. Yep. And that gives you the next time that you're in a situation, you're thinking back, well, we've already done it before. Why? What's different from this situation as against previous situations? And that confidence just breeds more confidence and breeds more confidence. Yeah, well, the first, I mean, the first win is, you hear this all the time with sports people, that the first win is always the hardest one. And once you get past that, it becomes a little bit easier to become before and you've got those points to refer back to. So well, you, just, I mean, you just know how to win. That's just yeah. it. You just then become a, a winner. And in any situation you're going into, no matter what the odds are stacked up against you, you, your your mindset is, well, of course we're going to win. Well, why wouldn't we yeah. win? We won last week. Well, we'll win next week. Um, and it was one of the interesting things. I remember Trevor Bayliss came over a year, year and a bit ago, and we were out for dinner. Alan Williamson was there, and we were chatting away. And he said to me that we were reminiscing as you do. And he said that the one thing that he took away from playing at West was that winning mentality and how he's taken that into all aspects of his life. And ultimately he now believes that that was a huge stepping stone. And I guess the more I think about it, the the more it resonated with me that, that you, the time that you spent and the fact that you had become winners, you can take that and use that so that you have got this, it's not, there's that thing between confidence and arrogance. Somebody's confidence is another man's arrogance. That there's that yeah. sort of just deep-seated belief that given time that you will be able to sort things out um, yeah. and, and win through. So what was that like as a dressing room then? Oh, it was because fantastic. It, it was just... Yeah. Uh, I, and what I would say to you is that when I came back 13 years later, the uh-huh. dressing room that we had at that stage um, was just people were 
it was just so so negative. Yeah, it was well, we never we we always took a foot forward. We always went forward back in the sort of eighties and nineties because that was just the way we we played our cricket and we knew that we were successful and we would always be successful. Whereas if you go into a dressing as I did two or three years ago, where they had there's been not a great deal of success mm-hmm. and the mindset is a negative mindset and that's the most important thing to try and change and i'm sure that when we eventually do win some silverware then we'll be off and running and i mean yeah so what would you how do you breed that then is it just winning is it characters in the no, dressing room do your job in what sense well, it's too easy going out and batting um, and thinking, well, somebody else will do it. Yeah. No, you do it. That's your bloody job. Top five, stay there. Not, listen, mm-hmm. it's the easiest thing just to think, you know what? Somebody else will do it today. Yeah. When your heart is absolutely pumping and, and you're, you're out there and you're 20 for three and the chirping's away and they're chirping away at you, chirping away at you, the easiest thing is just to walk past one and think, you know what, I'm just, I'm not. That, yeah, that was, that was a Somebody really else will do it. Somebody else yeah. will do it. But it's the hardest thing to do the first time. But once you do it the first time, and I'm always conscious of when I'm batting out there and we're 20 for three or whatever, and the new guy comes in, I'm saying to him, asking him, listen to that. Listen to the chirping. Listen to the chirping. I know it's difficult. We just need to survive. That's all we need to do. Because once we survive, then the chirping will stop. And I always make a point that if we do start moving forward, I always make a point to say to the batsman I'm batting with, do you hear that? Do you hear that? Mm-hmm. And he says, "Here, what?" I said, "Exactly. This is our time. We now need to capitalise on that." But ultimately, you have got the skills. You're not in the first team. You're, well, you're in the first team because you can bat and because you can bowl. Mm-hmm. What you need to have is a stronger mentality to say, "Well, listen, this is my day. I'm not going to get out for a cheap forty. I'm not going to bowl th- four decent balls and then just." bowl a half volley because I'm going to try something. No, I'm going to stick to the plan and I'm, I'm going to do my job. And if I do my job to the best of my abilities, then a lot of the time you'll be successful. And I think, I think, I personally think a lot of that comes from culture of the, of the dressing room of an accountability. Basically, if we, I think if we think back to what we spoke about a lot with Riyadh about being able to be honest with people when things haven't gone well and what they need to improve on. Now, I know quite a lot of the guys who played in that team that you were in that was really successful, do you know what I mean, either from having played against them as in 40 Club or just from being around the club. And I imagine that was a place where you were held accountable for your actions. Not that people would necessarily scream and shout at you, but there's people in that dressing room who, if you weren't doing your job, you would know about it and you would be told you had to do it better, I assume. Absolutely. And, and you knew there was an enormous amount of, of self-accountability because you knew that because when you hadn't done your job, whether it was a batsman, generally a batsman, that there would be some bat throwing and there would be effing and blinding because they knew that they hadn't done the job that they knew that they were capable of doing, but mm-hmm. for whatever reason hadn't done that. 
And the fact that somebody blows off steam like that resonates throughout the whole changing room. That they're saying, Chings, the standard is that high. And, and, and he's been so disappointed that he's let his standards slip. Then you immediately think, wow, right. I'll do the job now. Maybe it's, it's my time. It's my day today. Uh, yeah. And I think, and if people are at that stage where they're holding themselves to account, it puts the onus on other people to do that as well. Because if you're, if you're the, no one wants to be the odd one out in the dressing room, do they? Where you're kind of floating through every, you know, you don't want to be the one who is letting the side down from going on to win a title because it worked, it, you're not doing your job. Chris, it works both ways because you could yeah. be in a dressing room where you're the only guy who does that and everybody yeah. else thinking, oh, sheesh, <laughs> what's he on about? <laughs> yeah. he? He's having another blowout. Whereas if yeah. you've got a majority, then you've got a critical mass and then everybody follows that critical mass. So it's so important to get leaders within and I, I i think obviously it comes from the skipper but the skipper has to have two or three in the dressing room probably three i think maybe even four who are absolutely 100 percent behind that because he can't rely upon one person being the vice captain he has to have yeah. somebody in in the bowling side he has to have somebody in the batting and and also in in the fielding side of things yeah so again, this is kind of jumping, jumping slightly on, but I think, so thinking about when you come back to the club, um, you obviously played, we sort of flitted between first and second team cricket a fair bit last year and the year before. But I mean, and I, I'm not involved, I wasn't involved in selection last year. But I imagine that that winning mentality is a lot of what, why people were keen to have you in the dressing room and in the first team, because... Not in, in your, your older age, you're not the, the most agile of men. Easy in the tiger, field. easy tiger. <laughs> I tell you what, I'm probably as fit. I might not be as agile. I, I listen, <laughs> I, I doff my cap to you on that. But I tell I you what, I'm, I'm, I'm probably one of the fittest guys there. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. But I don't know. I, don't, I guess, what do you feel that you bring to that? that dressing room uh, as uh, a ultimately i'm not in that dressing room i'm in that dressing room to perform i mean uh -huh. that's the first thing yeah because ultimately if you don't perform and, and that's a and that listen i'm 52 i'm at the fag end of my career i appreciate that there will be kids out there who have got a longer future than i have yeah. um and so therefore i need to perform and if i don't perform then i'm going to get dropped um, and it, it is galling and you have to, yeah, being dropped is not a nice thing. You know, the, yeah. the standard of cricket and the standards I've, I've given myself, I, I, very rarely have I been dropped. Yeah. Um, so so f for Ian Young to tell you, listen, you've missed out, it was just horrendous. Even, even, at, my, even at my age, I but, just but thought... I I and, think then, and, then, and then getting dropped from the seconds. <laughs> <laughs> I, thought, I, I got dropped from the seconds last year, Rob. I think he texted me or he phoned me and he said, listen, you, you just... And, and listen, hands up. I think I was averaging three or something. It was just horrendous. I, couldn't, I could not hit the ball. So 
because I was doing the cricket at the school, coaching the school, uh -huh. it wasn't available for selection uh, for the first team. So I used to rock up in the second team um, and I would always arrive sort of half an hour late. Um, and at the start of the season, <clears throat> whenever I arrived, we were always five down for like 20 or something. <laughs> I mean, for the first three games that I played last season, I think we were four down, five down and six down. I mean, it was just ridiculous. Anyway, mm -hmm. so and of course, I didn't help the matters by being the, the next guy in and not making very many runs. So I remember the call from Rob. I said, listen, we're going we're gonna to have to drop you. <laughs> and I think I spoke to you and because I, I, I asked who we were going to be playing and, and which park we were going to be playing on and which artificial surface. And I thought, you <laughs> is. Right. Anyway, suck it up. Just get out there, score some runs um, and see what you can do. Uh, mm -hmm. And I, I can't remember, I don't, I think the game was off or something. Anyway, yeah. I got picked the next week for a Rowan Cup or a West League Cup game against Clydesdale. Yeah. And I batted with Fernie. Um, and we were three down for, I don't know, 30, chasing about 140. And I batted with Fernie. And I went in and said, Fernie, we can do this. And Clydesdale, great wicket, glass top. Anyway. We ended up winning the game. I got 30-odd. Fernie got 50-odd. We walked off, yeah. stuck it up Clydesdale. Um, no better feeling. And I thought, well, that's it. It just, for me, it just needed to take one innings. Yeah. Uh, and then I think, I think that week, I think I got picked for the first team. I thought, wow, here you go. Hey. I got drawn to the threes and then the next week I'm playing in the first. There was, I do remember there was a very weird period of like people bouncing around teams. I never knew who was going to be coming with me in these uh -huh. weird third eleven trips uh -huh. last year. Um, um, but yeah. But I mean, I think even at Yuri, I guess what I was getting at is even at Yuri, at Yuri it would be easier to to just go, well, I've, I mean, I'm like you say, you're coming towards the end of the career. It doesn't really matter if you get dropped. I think still having that like taking it as I guess as a slight and ha that desire to be playing is in and of itself indicative of your mentality. So, so the reason why I came back, okay, so I stopped playing in 2004 because we had two girls yeah, and there was no way I was going to keep a marriage going on the back of going out and playing cricket on a Saturday and a Sunday and my kids wouldn't see me and I thought, well, that's not, yeah. I'm, not I'm not doing that. So for 12, 13 years, I became a hockey dad um, and just didn't do anything other than, yeah. well, I say I didn't do anything, started marathon running, triathlons, etc. But then the girls turned 16 and, eight and 16 and 14. I thought, well, you know, they're going out and doing their own thing on a Saturday. I think, well, I'll just go back. And really, mm -hmm. I wanted to see, as all old farts like myself, it's always better back in your day. And I thought, well, mm -hmm. rather than me actually going down to West and drinking a few beers and watching, I thought, well, I'll just see whether or not it is better yeah. or was better in my day. And obviously I kept myself fit, so that wasn't a problem. And I thought, you know what? I'll make a goal of trying to get back into the first team. And that was my main yeah. aim. That was my main aim first three season back. If I can just go and play in the first team for as many games as possible and see, take it from there. Um, and I managed to achieve that. And then the second season, I thought, well, not just get into the team. I want to actually try and um, 
contribute is what I wanted yeah. to do. Um, and, you know, in, in a, some sh small shape, I've, I've, hopefully I've, I've, I've done that, whether that's contributing on the field um, with performances or, you know, speaking to guys and, and trying to improve their mentality. Because I think that's, we've got a super team. I mean, there's no doubt about that. The talent is there, but we just need to be mentally stronger uh, and be prepared to say, you know what, I'm going to do it today. We need more mm -hmm. guys to stand up and say, you know what, I'm going to do it today. Yeah, I mean, I think being not obviously being in that dressing room, but being around the club generally, I think that is that is absolutely like that's that's a train that runs like sort of thread that runs through the entirety of the club because to to finish, for example, finish second in three leagues last year suggests that there's talent playing at each, in each level of the Saturday sides, but to not to finish second in three teams but not win any of them suggests that there's an issue with getting over getting over the line that runs through the club mm -hmm. generally and it's really hard to put your finger on exactly what that is but as, and I guess you maybe need a bit of luck and as, as all things yeah. in, in life if if you you get a bit of luck grab that and and hopefully that luck will be the the turning point um so yeah and so what do you see coming back what 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 is the difference how do you see the difference in standard we spoke a little bit with this with Billy as an umpire, but from your perspective as a player, what is the standard like coming back? There is a different mentality, and this comes from T20 cricket, is okay. that, that there is far more aggression in the batting. Yep. So if I back in the day, if we were batting and we're three for 20, then we would just try and grind out the next five overs and then take it from there and then keep wickets in the hutch and then just have a blast for the last 10. Now teams yeah. are just coming in and it doesn't matter. And I remember seeing a video, I think it was Uddingston, and they were three for very little. Uh, and uh, the, the guy came in five and then just started to tee off from ball one. I'm thinking, what? Yeah. Uh, and, you know, sometimes that'll work and sometimes it doesn't. But there is more, definitely more aggression. More aggression, which is meaning then that there are more... Uh, scores of of over two hundred, um, mm -hmm. so that's that's been something. I'm not convinced that in the Western Union the bowling's up to much. I, I do mm -hmm. honestly believe that, uh, and I think that's down to the fact that when I was playing back in the Western Union first time round, you had a very very strong Western District, and and Billy uh, touched on this that there was a huge amount of players from that Western District team that would play in the, 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 the district competition that would be representing Scotland. And so yeah. it meant that, and because you were having to face bowlers who could bowl more than 10 overs, and you may only face four, maximum four bowlers on, on a Saturday, who would all bowl between you know, seven, 12 and 17 overs each, that you were, the, the standard of the bowling was a lot higher, a lot yeah. higher. Um, and, and I guess the argument to, to say you're bowling five tens is that, well, it's going to give everybody a shot. And so therefore more bowlers are going to have an opportunity and then have that opportunity to improve. But I, mm -hmm. there's a great deal of mediocrity, I have to say. 
once you start it, getting it, into bowlers three, four, and five, you know, that there are yeah. some exceptions, obviously, as far as teams are concerned. But generally, bowlers four and five, you're just thinking. Because that was always the way when you played Scottish Cup, you were always trying to target the fifth bowler. Because when teams uh -huh. came into the Scottish Cup, before you had the five tens mentality in the league, teams were always scraping about for a fifth bowler. Sometimes you yeah. ended up having to share five and six. So, I, yeah, I, I just think that there's a level of mediocrity. And I think that's down to the fact that the standard, it just doesn't seem to be as many Scottish players, players who are in or around the Scottish setup, playing in the, playing in the West. They seem all to be, or a great majority, are, are playing through in the East. Yeah, yeah, East, yeah, playing the East League or... And, and I don't know... I don't know how you you end up changing that. No, I mean, I, yeah, it's really, really hard to know, isn't it? Because I think in part it's infrastructure. I think that the East League now is a lot, lot better at at producing, just at produ bringing talent through. So you're more likely to see that come through. I think there is a little bit of, the there's more Edinburgh private schools, which does have a big impact on people, more people playing. But I also do wonder whether there's a, there's a conditions element to it as well. I don't think the conditions in the West are hugely conducive to to producing good bowlers. Because it's it's pretty wet, you can get by with a lot of slow on the spot, yeah, which yeah. there's a real upper limit on how far that takes you. Because you watch, like for example, you watch Rory play over here last year when anybody other than the the two good bowlers were on, he would just park people straight back over their heads for fun. Um, mm -hmm. So, and I think there is a bit of an upper limit on, upper limit on that. But, but yeah, I mean, do you think, how did, what, what's, I mean, what's the, what, what's the difference, I guess, in preparation and quality that way? Because you've spoken a lot about how the mentality, certainly in your dressing room, was better back in when you used to win titles in the 80s and the early 90s. But is the, it feels to me certainly the game is more professional than when I started doing the score box at the age of 12. Maybe that was because I was 12 years old and wasn't concentrating on what Yeah, I, I would agree with that. Um, I think that there's more, every team's got a coach, there's more sort of drills. But in essence, you're doing exactly the same thing. You know, I'm still doing the same stretches as I was doing 30 years ago. Um, yeah. You're still doing in essence, the same um, fielding drills before the game. Uh, what you generally don't have and what you used to have was there was a lot of sort of people doing throwdowns at the, at the start. Yeah, It doesn't tend, a lot of the batsmen don't do any throwdowns. It doesn't seem mm -hmm. obviously to be um, having that great an impact given the fact that the amount of runs that are scored. Yeah, But there's not, there's not that bigger difference I think one of the differences I think is that um, there is more thought as to plans put in place and, and okay. there's more talk technically of, of what you're actually trying to do now maybe that's because we're a team where we actually need to be told that mm -hmm. um, whereas maybe back in the day we didn't need to be told that because we knew what what we had to do and there was yeah. no point in, in somebody saying it because 
it was very it was very similar week in week out. Yeah, yeah, and I mean then there's stuff like that that actually is almost impossible. You can't. There's no way of quantifying that, is there? Do you know what I mean? We can't. Well, I mean, we could go into a retrospective with all of your squad, but uh... the the big change, umpires, too much authority. Okay, Ex expand. Well, numerous games last last year. Mm -hmm. Just let the bloody captains decide to play. Oh, was it? So is this this was the game? Oh, there's a slight damp or... patch here. There's a slight damp patch there. You've got flipping gloves. You've got a box. You've got a hit. Just get on with it. Now, listen. That's probably <laughs> from a health and health and safety perspective. But I remember playing. We played a a, a Scottish Cup game. Strathmore. Corey Richards was in the side. Probably one of the best sides that we we had. Um, and that was a side that won the Scottish National League first time round. Um, and we had, we must have had maybe seven, eight internationals in, in, in the team. Anyway, we played it to Strathmore, it was pushing down with rain, um, and there was this enormous damp patch on a length, and everybody, as all batsmen are, well, what's that going to do? Is it going to do anything? You know, is it going to rear my, etc., etc.? And just both, both Skipper said, well, listen, we need to play. Let's just get going. Umpires, no say. Um, and, and that was it. And, and the thing played absolutely fine. Yeah. You know, I, I've, we've got spikes, right? Um, I, I have yet to come across a situation where somebody has broken their leg, you know, pulled a hamster. I mean, just it doesn't happen because you see is that there's a wet patch. Out, out the shoe becomes a, moves from being a cricket podcast to a deregulation podcast. <laughs> <laughs> It's, it's, it's madness. We're all sensible. We've all got brains. If you see there's a you damp played a lot of cricket in the WDC, Johnny. You know you that think, not If you think that if you see there's a damp patch there and it's covered in sawdust, well, you, see, you don't go in a hundred miles an hour. Yeah. You but you're sensible. Risk assessment. Oh, it gets me going. Yeah, <laughs> I don't know if we've angered you. So We've been on for a while, so we won't sing it for too much longer. But so you had that, that it's been first. It's good though, it's been quality. Like, I top quality. This is what you get when you get an, an illuminating guest on. Or when we keep it in house, we'll need to do me next week. And it'll just be me gibbering about jun junior cricket and then getting drunk. Um, the, so you obviously you had that successful team at the start of late 80s, early 90s. Yeah. And then a bit of a gap. And then. Well, I left. Oh, is I that left. when you left? So talk about. So did you miss you missed a couple of years for you? Yeah. So and then you came back. So we won the league in in uh, eighty eight. We won the league, and then eighty nine. Yeah. We won the cup, uh, and then I was up. I came down because I travelled eighty nine because I started uni in eighty eight. Uh, so travelled down for two years, and then it was Colin Mitchell, I think, at Clydesdale. He was at Aberdeen. Okay. Uh, and I played rep cricket with Roddy Smith, so I knew him pretty well. And obviously I was up in, in Aberdeen um, and they tapped me up and said, listen, come and open the batting up at Aberdeen. So I stayed up there, I think, for two years, 1990 and 1991. Um, okay. And of course, those were the, <laughs> we had a great side up in Aberdeen 
but we were similar to West in that nobody knew how to win and there wasn't that okay. sort of gritty mentality that you need in order to win things. And, and don't get me wrong, there, when I opened the Herald as you used to on a, on a Monday and, and seeing all my pals, uh, you know, doing well and the club doing well, um, yeah, the regret, I don't know whether there was some regret. Um, certainly I look back now and I would have rather have been in a team <clears throat> that was winning silverware than not. Um, but it's just a decision that you make. And I remember coming back down um, and, <laughs> and the reception you used to get was, it was like you were the Judas coming back. <laughs> Nobody wanted to speak to you because you'd taken your cricket bat and you'd gone up to, to Aberdeen. And I say, I say that was worse when I went and, and played a year at Grange. Oh, absolutely. Um, and that was done because... Jen, my wife, um, I thought, listen, I need to go and make sure that I'm staying through in Edinburgh. She was working in Edinburgh. And I thought, well, listen, if I'm going to be making a life through in Edinburgh, I don't want to end up coming, coming back, back through to Glasgow. Place. And then because then the thing won't last. And it was the yeah. best decision I made, I have to say. Uh, but I do remember coming back because that was the year that all the clubs were thrown into the mix and you had to jockey for position in order to get into the the Scottish um, and that year I remember we won the Scottish Cup yeah played uh, Prestwick uh, in the Scottish Cup at, at Grange and I remember coming back and I remember various people I'm not going to say names but I remember various people and Frosty was not you know, it not was a hell of a frosty atmosphere, I have to say. You know, um, and I just thought to myself, well, you're an arsehole. Why are you treating me like that? I've, I've played for the club for 10, 15 years before that. There's reasons yeah. why I've decided to go uh, and play a year uh, through in Edinburgh. And, and you're yeah. treating me like some leper. I was like, just get over it. Yeah, I do feel sometimes with stuff like that, we do forget that, yes. It is, it is still an amateur game and people's lives are going to take over a bit. Um, so what was the, who was, talk us through, who was in that side then? Your side that won, the later side that won the Scottish Cup and were in the National League? Uh, so with the Scottish Cup, that was obviously Grange, but for the Nationals, um, oh, sorry, so we came back the year after that um, and we had a stellar side. So we had Mark Townsend, he was the skipper. Yep. Um, we had Corey Richards, uh, he opened with Dougie Lockhart. I'm pretty sure. I went in three. Four, we had um, Mike Richardson might have gone in four. Alan Williamson, five. A, gosh. A guy called Grant Rodden, who was the overseas amateur. Jeez, he could uh -huh. bowl. He bowled sort of mid-80s, heavy ball, and used to be able yeah. to whack it. Um, Bowling-wise... Oh, Craig Wright, of course. Craig Wright would have, yeah, he would have gone in four. Sorry, Craig Wright would have gone in four. I could have missed that out. Just a stellar, stellar side. Yeah. You know, there, there was just, as I say, that game we played against Strathmore, there must have been sort of, certainly those who'd played B internationals and full internationals, there would be seven or eight. Mark um, Gilco as well um, played. Yeah. Alistair Milne used to come in and smack some uh, at the end of, of the innings. 
um, just a great bunch of guys, great bunch of guys, and a, yep. and a team that had grown up through the years. I know, appreciate that I went up for two years and played at, at uh, Aberdeenshire. Mike Richardson went away and played at Clydesdale. But, but that, when we came back for that year, and I always remember we played that game against Strathmore and we absolutely mullered them in a, a cup game. And I think we scored like yeah. 300 and we bowled them out for 80. And, and Corey Richards, who at that time was on the verge of, well, he was playing New South Wales, verge of uh, Australia A, he said it was mm -hmm. one of the best amateur cricketing displays he'd ever seen from a, a side. Um, and yeah. I always remember him saying that. Uh, and I thought, gosh, we must be doing something right. Yeah. And what would, were there similarities in that team to the, the successful team that you, the other successful teams that you'd been in? Yeah, just, that, that, men just that mentality that, that we knew that if somebody didn't do it, then somebody else would do it. But there yeah. was also yeah. that inner belief that I want to do it. I, I want to yeah. be the person who's walking off having won the game. And if it wasn't you, then there was always somebody else who was prepared to stand up and do it, whether that was with the ball or whether that was with the bat. So that, that, is, that was the hallmark, that inner strength that there were people who regularly were prepared to say, you know what, I don't care, that's me, I'm going to do it this week. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I mean, it sounds, I mean, it sounds very, like I kind of wanted to touch on mentality and psychology as a specific point, but we've kind of threaded it throughout the entirety of the podcast, which was kind of one of the main reasons I wanted, thought it'd be good for to chat to you as a luminary and as a strong mental, mental toughness. But uh, wrapping it up, so we'll go through our usual ones that you, on. you like to run through. So be, the best that you played with, for, with and against. So <clears throat> against, I always liked watching Tom Black. He was just okay. explosive. He just used to come in and from ball one, he just used to time the pants off it. Just looked absolutely effortless. Um, and used to score a fair amount of runs against us, but Tom Black was always a guy who just thought, you know what, there's something special. Um, there's a guy, Donald Orr, who was a wicketkeeper at Pollock. Again, yeah. he just, just oozed talent and time at the wicket. Just beautiful batsman to watch. Uh, and then up when I played at Aberdeenshire, there was a guy, Graham Ferguson, who played at Perthshire. Okay. Now, you won't know who this guy is. Um, and just again, I always liked batsmen who were sort of classical and had lots of time. And again, Graham fitted that, that role, played a yeah. fair amount of district stuff, never really made it any higher than district. Uh, but yeah, beautiful batsman to watch. And Mike Smith, obviously, at Aberdeenshire. Again, a guy who just thought, wow, you're just making it too easy. So that's yeah. batsman, batsman wise. Um, as far as who I played with, uh, Aidan Doherty, he had a strange technique, but mm -hmm. he was explosive. Always, when I opened the batting with him, um, he always made, sh he, he took pressure off you because he was the one who was just trying to smack everything. So you could yeah. just concentrate in your own game, nerdle about until you got comfortable, um, and then try to 
to move on with with, uh, with him. So I, I always, yeah, Aidan Doherty was would be one. What then? Th- those are all batsmen. What about yeah. bowlers? Who were the bowlers? Who like who 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 always had you? There was a guy from Presswick called Appleby, right? Uh-huh. And he bowled this this, and and Gary McLaughlin was the same. It was like a sort of a reinvention of Mark Gilchrist. He bowled this like <laughs> that slow, slow. It was just never there, never there. And the worst thing about I guess Guy Appleby was that he took the ball away from you. So at least okay. with Mark Gilchrist and, and Gary McLaughlin, because the ball was coming into you, you could work yeah. it away on the leg side. But with Appleby, it just drifted and drifted and drifted. And you were very cautious in trying to just get the foot down yeah. and trying to, to smack it. I remember I played a Scottish Cup game against Presswick. And I think it took me 20 overs to get off the mark. <laughs> it was us, And I was really trying to get off the mark. And again, that was all about batting and partials because we were going okay at the other end. I just couldn't. I just could not hit the ball. I was going to say, are you going to try and link this back to what we discussed earlier and try and take the flack off yourself? No, no, it was it was horrible. Anyway, I think I got a 50 that game, but it took pretty much all 50 overs. Um, bowlers, bowlers, bowlers. Um, Offies and Mushi. Uh, Mush, uh, Mushtaq Mohammed um, at Clydesdale. I used to call him Mushi. Um, he had uh-huh. this... He, he had... Uh, <laughs> he had this great smile, right? Um, but he had one of his teeth was turned in. So whenever he smiled, you just saw this this, this one tooth. <laughs> ugly tooth. Uh-huh. Um, and he bowled well. I think he got a couple of caps for, for Scotland. Not great in the field, but just a, a magician with the ball. Yeah. Um, Keith Sheridan was always a difficult opponent to play against. Um, and Pete Duthie who used to bowl for um, Greenock, he was the real deal. Um, it was always a challenge to, to face Pete Duthie. Um, he had a bit of a mouth on him, never gave a quarter. Um, you knew you were in a battle um, with him. Uh, yeah. He liked to give you a send-off. I mean, I was going to ask... Who doesn't? No, exactly. Who doesn't? I think that needs to be brought back into the game more. But uh, I was—I mean, I was going to ask best ground, but you've kind of had it had it pretty good on that front. Given you've had West Grange, and then would have would have been in Manorfield up in Aberdeen. Yeah, least, up so. in Ma- yeah Manorfield. Yeah, so you've had it pretty pretty good on the ground front. Uh-huh. Any other particular favourites? I do like Clydesdale mainly because the surface is always good, and I always generally did pretty well there. Yeah. Uh, ball came on. Um, Strathmore I also liked as well uh, that was a good batting pitch I guess you always liked the pitches that you scored runs on <laughs> regularly so Strathmore yeah. I liked um, that must be why I hate playing everywhere Jim. <laughs> <laughs> but you know having been brought up in West and that will always be the home I, I like West because it's enclosed and I was yep. so disappointed that we took away the barriers, and I can understand why we ended up doing that. Um, and we had the dog track around the side, and I just felt that it, it's now a little bit more open. Um, yeah, and it's a, it's a shame, but you know, I understand why that happened. No, I, I absolutely see growing up, I absolutely loved the the picket fe- the fence, and then the the stuff around the outside. I think like the, that sort of thing you get as a child, like because because I did the score box from 
like 12 or 13. Uh-huh. There was something uh-huh. quite romanticised about coming in and out through the gate. Do you know what I mean? Like I was the always, other thing as well, yes. And yeah. they used to slam the gate or, or uh-huh. Yeah. And, but that, it was like, a, it was a real part of, like, do you know I mean? Like, if people didn't use the gate when they were batting, like, if they went on through the side, you got absolutely slated, like, when I came in through the uh-huh. third team. And, and there, there was nothing more funny than, than because the gate was on a, a, a latch, and sometimes yeah. the latch was a bit sticky. And so when you're yeah. actually going in, sometimes you, you couldn't, <laughs> it was quite difficult to get in. So that, was, that always brought a, a laugh. Um, yeah. And then, yeah. All, and then no, there I, was always, every season, there was always somebody who would, um, you know, not smash their head, but, but go in feet first and, and end up coming second best uh, against the picket fence. Yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, which there were some fairly dangerous parts of that facing by the end. Bits of, like, big bits of method. Absolutely. But, uh, Absolutely. But yeah, no, well, this has been hugely self indulgent of us to been. just talk about, <laughs> talk about ourselves as a, or well, and to talk about you. But I've, I've certainly really enjoyed that. I think, yeah. I think it ties up a lot of stuff about mentality and stuff that we kind of talk about with a lot of people. Yeah. Um, and probably people a bit of an idea of where, where you're coming from but we can go back to talking to outside guests going forward yeah. well so we need to get somebody yeah. on from um from pollock i'm going to try and get the big necks on next week uh, and then there I we think go. over the next couple of weeks just get some some legends on i know ronnie wants to go and i'd like to get tom black on because he would have some wonderful stories uh, yeah so we'll, we'll maybe try and have a chat with him at some point yeah. All Excellent. Right. well thanks very much johnny We'll sign off in our usual way. We could try and do it. We we won't get cut off. (laughs) No, we won't get cut off. Sometimes wrong. Always. Always. Certain. Always certain. Cheers, brother. Thanks very much, mate. Cheers, brother.